Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. But it's a, it's a great privilege and honor to be able to stand before you today. I want to thank Pastor Joe and Jana for um, asking me to share with you this morning. To give you a little bit of background my, about myself, um, as Matt said, we did serve on staff here for a number of years. We actually were on the pastoral staff for about six years. And then uh, we moved down to Columbus and planted a church down in Columbus, Ohio. Um, started that church, um, pastored there for 12 years. It about killed us, so we stopped doing that. And... Um, now I'm a financial advisor, but I'm also will speak whenever Pastor Joe asks me to. And um, today I want to lay a couple ground rules real quick, um, just to prepare you for what you're uh, in store for. Um, and see, the, I, actually, someone told my wife after first service says I feel wore out after watching him preach for the first service. So I want to give a little bit of ground rules. Whenever Pastor Joe speaks, I liken it to um, like that episode of Friends. How many of you have ever seen Friends before? It's okay. God's not going to strike you down if you admit that you like Friends. I love the show friends. And there's an episode in Friends where um, Rachel, the character, is going on a jog. And um, and whenever she jogs, she's very succinct, very precise. And she's just kind of like, ch, 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 ch. and I liken that to how Pastor Joe preaches. Very succinct. I mean, he is a fabulous communicator of the Word of God. He's able to take very, very complex situations in the Bible and simplify them better than anyone else that I ever know. Now, in the show, when Rachel's jogging, it's very succinct. But she has a friend by the name of Phoebe that comes running along beside her. And Phoebe runs like this. Now, I have to say, that's how I minister. So um, hang on. I apologize in advance. Um, I, it, it just kind of happens that way. And so I'm going to be completely different than Pastor Joe, but I trust that it's going to be a blessing to you today. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Peter chapter 1 is where I want to begin today. 2 Peter chapter 1. This is a letter that Peter wrote to the church, and he said this, and I want you to listen to the words that he says here. He says, therefore... I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are, and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. And it is to only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. And he goes on to one more verse and says this, so I will work hard to make sure you always, what? Remember these things after I am God. Now, whenever the Bible is repeating something over and over and over again, I think that God is really trying to get something over to us. What's Peter saying here? He says, I'm going to remind you of some things. I'm going to continue to remind you of some things, even though you already know them, even though you're standing in the truth of them, even though you're living them. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up and I'm going to remind you again. And after all, after I've reminded you three times, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remind you again, even after I am God, you're going to remember them. What is he trying to get over to us? That we will forget some things. That we need to be reminded of some things. And being a minister of the Word of God, we have one job and one job only. That is to continually remind you and ourselves of what Jesus Christ did for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Remind you of what that tremendous work is all about. That is all I'm going to do today is I've been sent here today to simply remind you who you are, 
remind you what Jesus Christ did for you and allow that to serve as the North Star to your life, to give direction to every aspect of your life. When well, Second Peter, the context of what he's saying here about what he's going to remind you of, what is he really talking about? Let's go back up to verse 3 and take a look at it. Verse 3 says this, by his divine power, by whose divine power? He's talking about God's divine power. Listen to these words. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Now, I'm into grammar a bit when it comes to preaching. Is has given past tense, present tense, or future tense? Past tense. You got the straight A's honor roll students somewhere. Was that you, Ryan? Yeah, I knew it, man. I knew it. Like the smart people, man. Surround yourself with smart people, make you look smarter. And so what happens is this. He said this. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need. Now, other translations say this. God has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And that's a little bit hard for us to comprehend. But God has said that he has already provided everything we need for this life and for godliness. From this pretext, I want to speak to you from the title, Don't Forget to Hug Your Plumber. Don't forget to hug your plumber. Hang on, okay? <laughs> Praise the Lord. This could be good. It'd be a blessing. Let's pray first. We need help. We need help already. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Father God, for your word. I ask for clarity and insight today to speak your word in such a way that it really truly impacts every single person that hears it, Father God. Let it lodge down deep in our hearts, Father God. And I ask, Father God, that you help me to say only what you want me to say. And in the name of Jesus, help me not screw it up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, let me little, uh, little, lay a little groundwork here again. Once Everything I'm going to be talking to you about today is going to be a very personal, intimate story from myself. And I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you have ever experienced something that you've gone through an event or you had something happen in your life and then looking back on it, you would say, you know what, that serves as a metaphor for my life. What happened in that event is the, what, the story of my life. I know that I've had a few things happen like this where I look back on it and after, after further examination is like, you know what, that's the story of my life right there. That's what, exactly what happens in my life over and over again. And, and the story that I'm talking about happened over 20 years ago. Before me and my wife were married, she's sitting here on the front row. She's the pretty one. And, um, and oh, over 20 years, and that's when, that's when you think, he doesn't look that old. He looks great. He can't be a day over 30. Okay, so maybe you're not doing that. So, but over 20 years ago, this is what this event happened. Um, I met my wife down in Bible school, as Matt said. And um, we, were, we were getting pretty serious. We were going together at this point, and we really liked each other a lot. And, um, and we were getting to the place where, you know, I was kind of thinking about maybe this is the girl that I'm going to marry. So wherever you get to that place, you get to the, the point in your life where you have to make that, that journey to where you go and meet the parents of the girlfriend that you're um, interested in at this time. No, she lived up in Warren, Ohio. I was down in Oklahoma at the time. So I made my very first trip up to Warren, Ohio to meet the parents. That indelible event that's going to happen is like, and you, you want, whenever you're going to a situation like this, you want to be very prepared. Every young person, listen to Uncle Michael for a second. I'm going to give you some things that's going to help you out here. All right, so if you're interested in someone and you want to make a good impression on the parents, be prepared. You want to make sure that you are witty. You want to make sure that you're 
charming. You want to make sure that you brush your teeth. You want to make sure that you're putting your best foot forward. And I tell you what, I was hitting on every point whenever I met them. I mean, I was witty. I was charming. I was telling jokes. They were laughing at them. I was making a good impression. Things were going swimmingly. And it was just a beautiful night. She, uh, Kara's mom made a wonderful dinner for me. And we, uh, we all sat down for dinner. And she made an apple pie afterwards. And it smelled good. And, and everything was just going along smoothly. Well, after traveling all day and spending a little bit of time just getting to know people, you begin to relax a little bit. And whenever you begin to relax a little bit, all your system, bodily systems, begin to function as normal again. And so what happened at this point is that nature began to call. Say, hello, Michael. Don't forget about me. And then whenever nature calls, you have one of two options. You have option one, which is pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Uh, but option two, whenever you have to go number two, you're picking up what I'm laying down. There requires a little bit more foresight because option one is pretty simple. But option two, take notes, young people. If you're meeting the parents and you have option two, you need to be prepared. This is what I call preparedness for odor reduction protocol. Odor reduction protocol is crucial to making a good impression on the future in-laws. Why? Because you don't want to stink up the situation. Boom, boom. Okay. It doesn't get any better than that, people. That's pretty much it. So, so nature's calling at this point. And so odor reduction protocol has a couple of steps to it. Step number one with odor reduction protocol, you want to find the bathroom that is the furthest away from the general seating area and especially away from where the food is being served. So in my situation, this was down in the basement. So I politely excused myself. Mr. and Mrs. Hedgeland, if you would be so kind to let me to excuse myself for a few months, I'll be right back. And um, so I excuse myself and I go down to the restroom. Step two of odor reduction protocol is, now this should be a given, but I want to give it to you anyways, just in case you didn't know this, you must close the door. You must always close the door. Now, if you sense that this is going to be a high odor potential situation, you may or may not want to lay a towel on the bottom seal of the door. You want to create a nice sealant in there just to keep everything in. Containment is of the utmost importance at this time. So then I didn't feel like I needed to do that, but I did close the door. You want to turn the fan on and, and then just be right now. This is the single most crucial step to odor reduction protocol. You must flush early and and often. <laughs> Write that down, people. Early and often. You guys are going to be going to some Christmas parties. You're going to be thanking me at some of these Christmas parties. Flush early and often. So everything is going along just perfectly fine. I get done with whatever I need to do down there, and I go and I flush early and often. This is when things go awry a bit. Because when you flush, Things are, you know how it goes. Everybody does it, you know. And, 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 and everything is supposed to go down at this moment. It didn't happen that way. All of a sudden, I got the swirling saucer of death. Things are just kind of going around and around here. Now, I, I, just a little bit of panic set in um, because it's not my first rodeo. I've been here before. I thought, well, maybe I just didn't hit the handle firm enough, didn't hold it down long enough. So I'll just let the tank fill back up again and we'll flush again. So I flush again and I hold it down. Still, nothing goes down. Swirling saucer of death. Beads of sweat are now forming on my forehead. Odor reduction protocol is going out the window at this moment in time. So then I go into... Um, uh, 
what do you call that? When you have a, a backup situation where you have to go into the ancillary plan, I immediately begin to look to see, are they good hosts? And have they provided me with the plunger from heaven? Well, they're gracious hosts. And I look down and, and with the angelic voice, the plumber was like, here I am. And so I found the plunger. I was like, thank you, Jesus, plunge, plunge. But I start working on this toilet. And I'm, listen, I, I am working on this thing because I do not want to have failure. I want this thing to go through without a hitch. Plunge, 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 flush nothing spiral of death now it's not clear water it's got this weird kind of concoction you know guys you know you you've been there it's kind of like kind of i don't even want to say it but now odor reduction protocol is completely out there now because you're stirring everything up i'm like oh dear jesus this is the worst thing in the world that can be happening plunge 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 over and over and over again seriously 10 15 minutes go by and i cannot get this thing unclogged and all of a sudden, I hear the pitter-patter of feet going across the roof of the store, and I hear it coming down the steps. And, it, and it's my then-girlfriend, my now-wife, uh, Kara. She comes in, and she sit, leans over, and she goes, uh, Michael, is, is everything okay? You've been down here quite a while. And, oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry. Just taking a little bit longer than normal. And I'm like, plunge, 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 plunge. So another 10, 15 minutes go by. I cannot get this thing unclogged. Pitter-patter again. Come down. Are you sure everything okay? You've been down here like a half hour and we're starting to get a little freaked out up here. It's like, who's this guy from Oklahoma standing down hiding in the bathroom? And, and I'm like, everything's fine. I just need a few minutes. And then I realized that, that, that I had to fess up. This thing wasn't budging. It was, there was no movement at all here. And I said, oh, with the door closed, containment, and, um, and, and I said, I'm sorry, but I've seemed to have clogged the toilet and, and I can't get it unclogged. And with the angelic voice of all the angels in heaven, she goes, oh, don't worry. I'll just get my mom and she can get it cleared. And I'm like, no, the whole point of this is good impression. And I'm like, no, 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 I can get it. She goes, no, no, no. She does this all the time. Don't worry. I'm like, all the time? What goes on around here? And, and, and I'm like, no. So, so now I have to say, I was not proud of this next moment. Okay, I was not proud of this. Um, so she goes upstairs to get her mother. I have a crucial decision to make at this time. Stand up and be a man and face the reality of the situation that's at hand. I could have done that. But what I did was open the door and hide underneath the bed. I kid you not. Now, I have to say, I am not proud of this moment. The problem is it was a twin bed. So I couldn't fit completely underneath the twin bed. So I just had my shoulders and head underneath the dust ruffle going, oh, dear Lord, rapture, rapture. And, and so, so the mother comes down. The mother comes down. Oh, it's okay. What is he doing underneath the bed? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. It's bad. It's bad. And so she's plunging, 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 plunging. She cannot get it unclogged. So we're now we're at like DEFCON 4 people, odor everywhere, stuff in the air. I don't know what's going on. It's on people. No, it's not really. But, so, what, so what they do now, they, they, they call the father down. Like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing. I kid you not, people. We started dinner about 6, 7 o'clock at night. 2 o'clock in the morning, Roto-Rooter is in the driveway cleaning up the pipes underneath the house. Thank you, Jesus. It was the worst experience. Now, that made an impression on me. It made Because when I look back at that event, I realized, you know what? That's the story of my life right there. That's the story of my life. That serves as a metaphor for what my life is. Because so many times in my life, 
So many times in my life, I worked very, very hard to get the crap out of my life, <laughs> and I'm not able to do it. I'm not able to do it, no matter how much I worked. And this plumber, I tell you what, when that plumber was done cleaning out those pipes, I didn't do it, but man, I wanted to. I wanted to go over, and I wanted to give that plumber a hug. Why? Because he was able to do something for me that I was not able to do for myself. He was able to do for me what even the closest people around me could not do for myself. He was able to remedy the situation. This is the point that I want you to get. He said, the problem, the reason why you could not get this, this clogged toilet is because there was something deep down underneath where you couldn't see. There were roots that were growing through the pipes, and I had to go in and I had to bore them out, and now everything is flowing just fine. And that is exactly what happens in every single one of our lives. Many times, listen, we all have this condition where we have things that are rooted deep down inside. That no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you plunge, it doesn't seem like you ever clear what's blocking the situation in your life. But I'm here to tell you this morning that we have a holy plumber by the name of Jesus Christ that has come along and he's made a way where we're, there is no way that we can never figure out on our own. And today I want to simply remind you, remind you of who you are because of what Jesus Christ has done and simply to remind you of this. Stop trying to complete something that Jesus has already done. Stop trying to finish something that Jesus has already done finished. How silly would it be for me after Roto-Rooter was done cleaning up the pipes that the first thing I did is I ran back in that house, went back in the basement, grabbed that plunger and started plunging the, the toilet again. That would be ludicrous, wouldn't it? Why? Because it's already done. Come on now, someone help me now. What I want to do today is I want to remind you who you are and remind you what Jesus did. Some people will say that this is basic stuff. This isn't basic stuff. This is the whole kit caboodle, my friend. This is the epicenter. What I'm about to share with you today is not just a foundation, but it's the epicenter for every other thing in the Word of God. Every other topic in the Word of God is based upon the foundation of what Jesus Christ did for you and I 2,000 years ago on the cross. We should never water it down to, the, well, that's just a basic doctrine. No, this is not a basic doctrine. This is the doctrine. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what this whole thing is all about, is what I'm going to share with you right now. Now, in order for us to properly understand this, you must and I must have an understanding how we are made up as people, as individuals. Now, Pastor Joe has taught him this a lot, and I'm just going to repeat what he has taught me. Every single person in here, you are first and foremost a spirit. Say, I am a spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. Let's go over that again. You are a spirit. You have a soul. And you live in a body. Your spirit is the true you. That is the everlasting you. That's the part of you that was created by God. That is the essence. That is the life force of who you are. It is the part of you that lives forever. It's the part of you that will never die. Your soul is your mind. Your soul is your will. Your soul is your emotions. Your soul is how we feel about things. And most of us live by that realm, by how we feel. And your body is, well, it's your body. It's what Matt said was studly about me earlier, and that's, why, that's how I heard it. <laughs> but, but you are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. 
Now, if you do not understand this, everything else that I'm going to say after this will be very confusing to you and be like, what? I don't get it at all. Everything I'm talking about is concerning the true you. You are a spirit. Now, let's talk about your spirit for a second. The Bible says this in Colossians. Colossians says this, For he, Jesus, rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Forgave past tense, present tense, or future tense. Ryan, past. Think I caught him off guard. He's deep in thought. He's like, hmm, yes. There's a lot of poo. Praise the Lord. He forgave us. He, he did what? Spiritually speaking, 2,000 years ago on the cross, Jesus Christ transferred us out of one position. Paul calls it the position of sin. Sin in this context is not a verb, but it's a noun. It's a place. He's transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. Now, who did the transferring? Did you do the transferring? No. He did it. What it means is this. You are no longer in a place of sin. You are no longer in a place of darkness. Ah! Why? Because he did something. Now, I said, I said earlier, I grew up in Oklahoma. I'm from Oklahoma. I met my wife. We moved to Ohio. I used to live in the state of Oklahoma. Yeehaw! And every now and then, every now and then, an Oklahoma accent will eke out. But just because an Oklahoma accent ekes out, hey, y'all, how y'all doing? We're fixing to have some vittles up in here. Just because that may eke out does not automatically translate me back to Oklahoma. How y'all doing? Well, I'm back here with the Cowboys and Indians again. He's transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We are now in a different position. That changes everything. He did it. Isn't he a good God? So what does it mean he transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son? I am glad you asked that. That is a great question. Because 2 Corinthians says this. It says, for he, Jesus, made, no, him, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, for us. Why? Think about that for a second. God made Jesus to be sin for you and I. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. Other translations put it this way. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that you and I would be made into the righteousness of God. When he makes you into the righteousness of God, he cleans out your pipes, baby. He gets rid of that root cause because the root cause is what we call this nasty thing called the sin nature. And he took that sin nature out. And what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago was this beautiful, divine, impactful exchange that is from everlasting to everlasting. See, what happened on the cross is this. That God judged every single sin on the cross because God does not turn a blind eye to sin. But he says, you know what? I'm going to look at the sin of Adam all the way to the very last sin that will ever be committed on this earth. And what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to justly justify the human race. How is he going to do that? By making his only begotten son into the very essence of sin that you have committed, that I have committed, that I'm going to commit tomorrow, that I've committed last week, that I'm probably about to commit here in the next couple of minutes in this message. 
And what he do, he says, I love them so much that I'm going to not punish them, but I'm going to punish him for them. Oh, glory to God. And he poured out all of that sin from heaven above, all the judgment of sin from heaven above, from below, from the sides, poured it out to completion where there is no longer any judgment for sin because he exhausted it. I know that because Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Now that seems almost too good to be true. But the reality is that is the only way we're ever going to make it, my friend. That's the only way we're all in the same boat, going down the same river, trying to clean out our own pipes. And no matter how much we plunge, has it worked out for you yet? You can't clear the blockage, can you? But he comes along with the holy golden plunger from heaven. And he comes in and he plunges out the core of sin in the beginning of your life. I know it's, I, this should be a youth message. I realize that. But still, it holds true. This divine exchange happened on the cross. See, what was happening on the cross was that Jesus was getting what I deserved. He was getting what you deserved. To be spat on, to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be punished. Why was he doing that? So we would get what he deserves. Acceptance. Love. Forgiveness. Grace. That's a beautiful thing that was happening on the cross, and this is exactly how God sees you right now. How many of you have ever felt this way? Man, felt this way is key. Man, I, I feel like I'm just a giant screw-up. Man, I, I just can't seem to get my stuff together over and over and over again. And then we, we, we just internally, we have this thought and this feeling that, man, I know that God has got to be upset with me. And I've even had the thoughts like, it's like, how, look at the way you're behaving, Matt. Look at the way you're, don't you, don't, you have no respect for what Jesus did for you, do you? And I would do this internally to myself. Don't raise your hand, but I would submit that we've probably all been there. Then I, then I just, because I didn't fully understand what Jesus did, I'm here to remind you of that. Because what he did on the cross is that he exhausted all of his judgment. He exhausted all of his anger. He exhausted all of his punishment in the person of Jesus Christ. I can prove it to you. Want me to prove it to you? I will. Whether you want me to or not. Isaiah 53. We know that passage of Scripture. It's in the Old Testament. It says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about what was happening on the, going to happen on the cross. Then right after Isaiah 53, Ryan, you're going to help me here again. Right after Isaiah 53, what happens, what chapter comes out? Isaiah 54, man, shoo, stand in awe. Oh. Isaiah 54. So now you just finished talking about everything that's going to happen on the cross. Then on, in Isaiah 54, he says this. This is like the days of Noah to me. Remember, God told Noah there's going to be a floody, floody. Get those animals onto the boaty, boaty, muddy. I, don't, I didn't grow up in children's church, so that explains a lot, by the way. This is like me, the days of Noah. That's what he says here. When I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. Listen to this. So God's speaking. So I have sworn. Stop right there for a second. Does God have to swear to make his word true? He does not have to. But he is making a point here. He's saying, I swear. Hey, 
by the moon. He didn't do that, but I just like to sing. I've done it three services now and embarrass my wife every single time. But he said, I swear, I swear. He said, I have sworn that I will not be angry with you nor rebuke you. Say, what now? God said, I swear. I'll never be angry with you. Why? He justly justified it. He exhausted his anger on the cross. Every time you think that God is upset with you, God is mad at you, you know immediately that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because God said in his everlasting word, I swear I will never be angry at you again. That's good news, my friend. Now, we'll say, okay, 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 okay. I, I, I get it, weird Michael man, that, that he may not be angry, with me again, but dadgummit, I know this for sure. I'm a disappointment to him. I'm constantly disappointing him. Man, I look around, I see how Ryan is, see how Matt is. That guy, Michael, gives me hope. <laughs> but I see how great these other people are. I can't get my crap together. And I know that I'm constantly disappointing him. And so we go around, we got to kick ourselves you know, got to beat ourselves up a bit, making ourselves, punishing ourselves somehow because we feel so bad about ourselves. But I, one day I was studying this and I thought I'd be real spiritual. I looked up the Hebrew word for angry because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. I looked up the Hebrew word for angry and I went, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I looked up the word angry in Hebrew. You know what it means? It means to be angry. But it also means this, to be provoked to wrath. And he's saying, I swear I will not be angry with you. I will not be angry with you. I will not be provoked to wrath. I will not fret about you. That means worry. He's not worried about you. He's not worried about your spiritual condition. Because you're not holding on to God. God's holding on to you. Then he says, I swear I will not be displeased with you. Say what, homie? He's saying, what now? He says, I swear I will never be disappointed with you. How can that be? He exhausted it. He poured it out completely. He got disappointed with Jesus who didn't deserve it so he can have acceptance with me. That's love, my friend. And that's hard for us to comprehend. He said, but when I screw up, he's got to be. He's judged it already. I want to remind you who you are, that you are deeply loved, deeply, more than you can ever think or imagine. Let me prove it to you again. Look what this next scripture says right here. Look at the next one. It says this in John chapter 15. This is what perfect love is. My, you want to know what perfect love is? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Okay. I'm embarrassing myself for a cheap laugh, okay? It's not working, okay. In this union and fellowship with him, Love is completed and love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face him. Why? Listen to this. Because as he is, capital H, because as Jesus is, so are we. What? How could that, spiritually speaking, because he took out your yucky, yucky, yucky fallen spirit 
and replaced it with the new spirit. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. And it's to the point where you don't have a form of Jesus' righteousness. You have the righteousness of Jesus. As he is, so are we. Now, I used to think this. Well, that's good and great. One day when we get to the sweet by and by, way up yonder, we all be like Jesus. And that's the reason why I love that John put this in here. He said, as he is, so are we in this world. In this world. Being a minister, sometimes it's the easiest thing in the world because all you got to do is just got to read the scripture. I am looking at people that are just like Jesus. Spiritually speaking, you have been made just like Jesus. Is that good news? That's tremendous news. As he is, so are we in this world. So what, how, what, how does that apply to our life? Every single day, I get up and I deal with investments all day, and I'm dealing with public and all this, and, and there's this pressure at work a lot of times to be able to think of the right thing to say, to come up with the right um, thing to uh, persuade people and to help people and do all this, and, and, and we have a tendency to strive in and of ourselves. But then, uh, then what I have to do on a daily basis, daily, I have to, what, what Peter said, I have to remind myself, his divine power has given me everything that I need for life and godliness on how to be a, a, a good employee, on how to be a husband, on how to be a parent, on how to be a friend, on how to be whatever it is that you do. He has provided everything we need. It's like Prego, baby. It's already in there. It's in there. And so I have to remind myself, this neater head brain of mine, that this is not just solely my responsibility to perform and act a certain way, but as Jesus is, so am I on this earth. And so what happens is this, it places me at ease. It causes me to calm down. All of a sudden, I'm not striving anymore. I'm not struggling anymore. And it's amazing when this happens, all of a sudden, things just come to you. You begin to say the right things. You begin to do the right things. You begin to act the right way. Why? Because now we're living from the inside out, not the outside in. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. All of a sudden, it begins to impact every other area of your life once you remember who you are. Who you are. You are the chosen of God. You are the lily of the valley. You're the fairest of 10,000. You are as Jesus is on this earth right now. Just accept it. You're either going to find out now or you're going to find out when you get to heaven. When you get to heaven, we'll be like, whoa, man, that guy was right. Whew. I should have been living that way the whole time. Love has been perfected among us this way. I can, I can take a little bit further for you. Can I go a little bit further with this? Look what it says over here in Hebrews. It says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But our high priest, who is our high priest? Jesus. Hey, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single, single sacrifice for sins. Now stop right there for a second. Comprehend what he's saying. Jesus Christ offered himself as a single sacrifice for sins. Then he goes on and says this. I'm not saying this. My wife isn't telling me to say this. The Bible is saying this. Single sacrifice for sin. Good for all time. That deserves a good round of applause right there. Thank you. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. He sat down because the pipes had been cleaned out. It's a finished work at this point in time. Single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Good for all time. Goes on to say this. 
For by that one offering, now this is the part that really blows my gaskets and I'm just, I can't wrap my mind around it. For by that one offering, he, Jesus, forever, 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 I'm going to love you forever, forever and ever, amen. Oklahoma coming out, Randy Travis, but he says, he said this, by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Now, let me stop you right here for a second because I get it completely. This is a place where no perfect people are allowed. I understand that in our actions, we will never be perfect. We are constant. Man, I've screwed up so many times. I, you may never see me again preaching. But, but listen, listen, we will never be perfect in our actions. What he's talking about is our spirit. In our spirit, he is forever made perfect. Who are you? God has made you perfection. He looked at you after Jesus Christ went to the cross. He looked at you and went, oh, nothing else to be done here. They are perfect. Spiritually speaking, you have been perfected. Now, this is crucial for you to understand. Never get your do mixed up with your who. Never confuse what you do with who you are. Because who you are can be completely separate from what you do. You tracking with me? You picking up what I'm laying down? Man, I need your help. Come on up here once more time. Second time. He knows what's happening right here. He's looking at his watch. Is this guy almost done? No. So look, look, Matt right here. We don't want to get our do mixed up with our who, right? Easy question. Ryan, can you help me here? Is, is uh, Matt a man? Yeah, he's a man. Matt's a man. He was, what, Matt's a man because he was born a man. Now, what if Matt, good friend Matt here, thinks I'm a stud. Um, what, what, if, what if our good friend Matt here walked into church next week and he had a horse costume on? He had a saddle on his back. He had a bit in his mouth. He had horseshoes on his feet. And you walk up to him and you go, hey, uh, uh, hey Matt. And he goes, yeah. He's like, dude, Matt, what you doing, man? He said, yeah, I, I'm a horse. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Because he would walk like a horse, because he talked like a horse, because he had the horse costume on, because he had the horse saddle on, because he had the horse bit in his mouth, because he had the horse shoes on his feet, does that make Matt a horse? No. no. Why? Because he's a man. He was born a man. He can act like a horse all day long, but it's never going to make him into a horse. His do does not impact his who. What we have to do with Matt at that point, we have to go up to Matt and take him to the side real nice and gentle-like and say, hey, Matt. Hey, buddy. I love you, man. I love you. But you're not a horse. You're a man. How did he become a man? He was born a man. How did you, listen, just because you may not always act righteous, sometimes you may not always act holy, sometimes you may not always act like the, like the person of Jesus Christ, does not change the fact that you were born again like Jesus is on this earth. Come on now, church. Thank you, Matt. Never, ever, ever, ever get your due 
mixed up with your who. Now I'm going to close. I'm going to close right here and get you guys out of here. Peter said, I'm going to remind you of this. And I'm going to keep on reminding you of this. And even though you're walking in the truth of it, I'm going to remind you again. And I'm going to remind you so many times that you're never going to forget this, even after I'm gone, who you are. How do we keep this in our forefront? Because this, my friend, I tell you, I tell you, I've tried it out in my life. It's the most amazing thing in the world to realize how loved you are, how that changes you. How it changes you. Listen, ladies, if your husbands were to say to you, no matter what you do, I will never stop loving you. You are perfect in my eyes. You are beautiful. At 90 years old, you will be the most beautiful woman in the world to me. No matter how you act, no matter how many times you burn the dinner, no matter how many times you serve lemon chicken, I'm going to love you. No matter what. Now listen to me, ladies. If your husband were to talk to you that, this is why I get favor with the ladies at this point. If your husband were to talk to you that way, what does that do to you? Does it make you go, really? You love me no matter what? Woohoo! I'm gonna run out and commit adultery. <laughs> why? Because you said, you said, no matter what I do, what I do, you're always gonna love me. Does it do that to you? No, it doesn't. It causes your heart to be drawn closer to him. It's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance and have a change. It's the goodness of God. You can never overdose on the goodness of God. How do we keep this in front of us? Number one is this. Keep coming to church. Our job as ministers, and Pastor Joe does a way better job about it than I do, but constantly reminding you who you are in Christ. You're deeply loved. You're highly favored. You are the love of God. You are his favorite. I don't know how he does it, but you're his favorite, and I'm his favorite all at the same time. God can do that. Keep coming to church. Communion is another great reminder. Every time you take communion, you drink that cup, and you eat that bread, he said, do this in remembrance of me, what I've done for you. The third way is this. Third way is that I'm going to throw this in. When you begin to tell other people about the love of God, it lodges down deep in your heart because once you start telling other people about the love of God, you have to make sure that you know what you're talking about. So it requires you spending some time meditating and thinking about this. About, well, then you begin to share it with other people and it lodges down deep in your heart. The last way is this. is through the word of God. Last scripture right here. It says this in uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Now stop right here for a second. He's saying that we are to behold the glory of the Lord. We are to look at the glory of the Lord. What's that mean? Glory, oh, is it a big bright light? I don't know what the glory is. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now, this is where who you are on the inside begins to change the outside is by beholding the glory of the Lord. James tells us this, that the Bible, the Word of God, serves as a mirror in our lives. Now, I was always taught this way. So what that means, this is how I was taught. Whenever you open up the Word of God, you need to find out every place where you're not measuring up. And it serves as a mirror because all of a sudden you see an eyelash here, see a little bit of pasta right here, got a boogie hanging out here. 
got hair growing out here. And then you need to go through, you need to clip all that. You need to shave, you need to wipe, you need to do it right here. And if you work hard enough, maybe you'll measure up. But that's not how I read this. Because other translation says, behold, as in a mirror, when you read the word of God, behold, as in a mirror. Let me ask you a question again, Ryan. When you look in a mirror, who do you see? You see yourself, right? Unless you got some kind of crazy mirror that shows someone else. But when you look in the mirror, who do you see? You see yourself. And the Bible says, behold, as in a mirror, not all of your shortcomings, not the boogie hanging out, not the spinach in your teeth. He says specifically, whenever you behold the glory of God in the mirror, you're looking at yourself. Whenever you see the glory of God of who you truly are, every single time you read the word, what happens? Transformation begins to happen. What, what, what? Behold as a mirror that every time I read the word of God, I see what, who Jesus is. I'm seeing who I am. When I see righteousness, I see I, who I am. I see perfection. I see who I am. And then what happens is that you become so convinced of the fact that you are so holy and you're so righteous. All of a sudden, you may find yourself just actually stumbling across the fact that you are acting holy and acting righteous because you are convinced of who you are no longer just by how you feel. Amen, brother. It's good. Never forget who you are. Jesus completed the work. Let's stop trying to complete something that he's already done. You are beautiful people. You are the perfection of God. You are the righteousness of God. Not because you did good, because he did so good. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, if there be anyone in this place that has never given their life over to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I ask that you begin to deal with their heart right now. The good news of the gospel is this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid the ultimate price for your life. Every sin that you committed, he took the punishment for that. The difference between Christianity and every other religion on this planet is this. Every other religion on this planet gives you steps to take orders to follow, and if you're good enough, maybe you'll become righteous enough to go to heaven. Jesus Christ said that is not what this is about. He did not come to give us more laws or rules to follow. He came to simply give us and make us righteous. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this place and you've never given your life over to Jesus Christ because you never wanted to sign up, it seemed like it'd be too hard too many rules. I have to get too many things cleaned up. God is not waiting for you to get your life cleaned up. He's already cleaned up your life. The Bible says that it is a free gift. It is a finished work. It is already done. The forgiveness is already there on the cross 2,000 years ago. The problem is that we haven't believed it. And he says this, if you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and you confess him as the Lord of your life, you'll partake of all this righteousness and this goodness. And God is judging you by the work that Jesus did on the cross. If that's you, I want you to say this prayer after me. I want everyone in this play, place to say these words with me and allow your heart to agree with them. And the greatest miracle in the world will happen on the inside of you. Say this with me at Boardman, TCI, all across this place. Dear God, 
I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he's made me righteous. And I confess Jesus is the Lord of my life. Amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.